0: Well, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And although it's been a long time since we discussed the first two, we are continuing our journey through the Hellraiser franchise. Lucky as Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, I, you know, so usually when we do franchises, we do Through the Years episodes where we'll discuss uh, everything all at once. Do you really think we're going to fucking sit through all these films at once? Give me a break.
1: No. I mean, <laughs> Halloween was a slog it's itself, I know. wasn't it? <laughs>
0: fucking hell. This is even worse. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> we love you guys. We love everyone who listens to us. We're glad you enjoy us trashing films. But we'll we'll take some time between these episodes.
1: <laughs> this is the kind of film both of them the kind of films I don't mind trashing yeah <laughs> because they should have known better they really should have you know there's no excuses really for it so this is the kind of one that I really do enjoy
0: trashing well if you would <laughs> like to listen to us discussing the only two good films in this franchise head back to episode 125 uh, where we discussed the first two for Pride Month with Jack from Passage Del Terra um but to give you a brief history, Hellraiser is obviously based off of The Bound Heart, uh, the Clive Barker novella, and the first film was directed by Clive Barker because he saw what uh, how much of a disaster Rawhead Rex was when um, someone else directed his work. So he did it himself, and, you know, it's a horror masterpiece. The sequel is arguably pretty much just as good as the first film. Um, it's one of the best horror sequels of all time, is it's that a there? good one. It, it stuck to the formula, did something a little different, yeah, and was better for it. It's a great concept. The whole How Howl's the concept is a great concept. Um, that is more chilling in the fact that these are just demons that have been unleashed because they're like a kinky old time, um, but with a bit of death as well. Um, and obviously, you know, Kirsty gets caught up in that in the first film. We go through hell in the second film, and it is great. It makes both of those films make the most of the batshit crazy concept. Yes, you know it. it yeah, they're super gay, um, as they need to be. You know, we're dealing with uh, a lot of leather and bondage and S and M and whatever. It's the whole thing's just a crazy old eighties time, but then we hit the nineties, <laughs> and that brings us to our first film. How 3, Hell on Earth, from 1992. Directed by Anthony Hickox, who we previously discussed at the start of this year with Full Eclipse. Uh, he's also done Waxwork 1 and 2, Prince Valiant, Stormcatcher, Jail Ribs, Last Run, etc, etc. This was made on a budget of $5 million, and it made $12.5 million worldwide.
1: Okay. That's not great, but they have doubled their money. They have, so... yeah. So, hence part four
0: um history <laughs> with this film any
1: no. no no i didn't watch it until i met you
0: i have um so i saw well i saw most of this film before i watched the first film because as you may recall from our alvira episode and probably many other episodes um i used to be obsessed with the horror channel and this was always being advertised on there um but it never seemed to actually show on it. i could never find when it was on so, I watched it on YouTube originally, and it didn't have the full film, so I saw it as far as the church scene, and that was it um but i you know, I thought this was the shit back in the day when well, I was trying to go. cut off I know I'm yeah not fair. <laughs> um but I, I thought it was great back then, um you know, first howrated a film I'd saw, I didn't know any different, Pithead was great or whatever. Oh, when I showed you, and I was like, oh, yeah, 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 this is the other good Hellraiser sequel, uh, like a few years right. back. Watching it, I, I kind of want to just bury my face in my hands. <laughs> but fuck me. <laughs> I enjoyed some shit when I was younger. And it's <laughs> not awful, it's not abysmal. It's not,
1: no. It's not it's
0: good. It's great. <laughs> well, it's not even good. You wouldn't really,
1: it's one of those things sequ- <laughs> you wouldn't really choose to watch it unless you were marathoning yeah. all the
0: films. But that's how it goes like, from this point on. completionist thing.
1: Yeah. In- I do actually, just to cut you off, Um, uh, I do have a sl- very, very slight history with the film. Um, Back in the day, like I'm sure many people were, horror fans were, Um, I was an uh, avid follower of Arrow in the Head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read all of his reviews and I distinctly remember how he's a three. Um, he mentioned the CD kill. Yeah. So in my head, I think, if I remember correctly, I think he praised it or it stuck in my mind mm. and I thought, oh, it's going to be well cool. And then you actually watch it. <laughs> no, not quite. Well, it's the coolest scene in the film. <laughs> The yeah, bar isn't set it, very high house It's very 1992.
0: It is, it is. We'll get to that. Uh, so getting into the trivia, the biggest issue was the black mass scene, which caused controversy in socially conservative North Carolina. Anthony Hickox had been refused permission to shoot in a real church, so he used a matte painting uh, Matt Payton, as a background to the altar. When the crew complained of sacrilege, Hickox told them that it was no different than the countless Hammer horror films in which Chris Phileas Dracula rampaged in churches. It's not wrong. Exactly. I mean, this takes it a little further, but it's not wrong. The initial one-sheet artwork featured a side shot of Pinhead's screaming face. The MPAA said the artwork was too intense and asked that Pinhead be removed from the poster campaign. Miramax instead decided to use a composite photo of Pinhead from the original Razor one-sheet and successfully argued that it was suitable as it had already been used in the past. The MPAA uh, relented and allowed this new poster to art to be used. Yeah, it's so lazy. Like, there's so many other things you could have done. This is literally the same as the first film's poster, but with a different background. Yeah. <laughs> it's just New York in the background. Doug Bradley said, although he enjoyed the production and working with Anthony Hickox, he experienced discomfort in some of his scenes. Early on, he agreed to act from within the uncomfortable pillar of Souls prop, where Pinhead is trapped. This limited Bradley's acting to just his face and voice. Uh, Bradley also said that the makeup from Harry's 3 was his least favourite. They changed Pinhead's makeup to make it faster to apply and remove, but this had the side effect of making it more uncomfortable to wear. However, Bradley was able to find an optician uh, who allowed him to wear a prescription version of the black lenses, uh, allowing him to stay in character for much longer periods. Yeah, I can imagine this is a fucking pain to sit through to make up the makeup Yeah, end. absolutely. Which makes me question why he came back for all the shitty sequels. Like, in some of them, he is literally in it for no more than one minute, and he's in full makeup and everything. It's like, what really? are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing with your life? They probably paid you a lot of money. For the straight-to-video ones? Is there a lot of money to be paid? Well, I mean... I suppose not getting much work elsewhere as well. Sort of... You said it. <laughs> Tony Randall <I> was. <laughs> Tony Randall was attached to direct, uh, but the producers removed him after they become after they became worried that his vision for the film was too bleak. Uh, Anthony Hickox replaced him after a mutual friend who he worked with on Waxwork Two Lost in Time suggested him. Clive Barker, who disliked Hickox's prior work believed him a poor fit for the Hellraiser series, as Hickox was known for horror comedy films. When he met with him, Barker stressed that he expected him to take the material seriously. Hickox, a fan of the series, agreed, and used the first two films as a guide for the proper tone. Did he? Are you fucking kidding me? There's (laughs) absolutely no way this film isn't... Wait. So was he being serious with all the comedic moments then? Was that him trying to be serious? What comedic moments? Uh, Ladies first. Oh, yeah. Or the one oh, liner, but he's basically turned Pinhead into Freddy Krueger. A little bit, yeah, yeah, very much, yeah. And Peter Jackson was uh, also if the other director had a very really bleak vision. Well, yeah, give him the fucking film. It's Hellraiser. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> there's a different audience by that point.
1: Really, I think maybe they were looking to replace. Freddy Krueger
0: after Freddy's dead. Yeah. Maybe that's what they were looking for. Uh, Peter Jackson was asked to direct, uh, but declined because he couldn't see himself directing such a serious film. (laughs) He liked the final product, but added that if I made a Howl film, I'd like Pinhead to be whacked against the wall and have all the pins flattened into his face. I immediately start thinking of funny things and gags. That's just the way I am. just the way he is. (laughs) During the sex scene between Amy Lee uh, and Kevin Bernhardt, Lee protested at having to appear topless. So this was resolved by having Bernhard place his hands on her breasts to cover her nipples. Now, you say place. <laughs> um, it looks a little painful. It does, it does. It looks like he's
1: proper grabbing them.
0: It's a very Howl sex scene. Um, it is. And they got that right, you know. Yeah,
1: sweaty. Yeah. One thing about Harry's films, and all of them that I've seen so far, they're very sweaty yeah. films. They always look like it's really warm on set. Yeah. I don't know how they get it that way, but... Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. Certain films are sweaty films. Yeah, it's a recurring Reasons, thing. Definitely one of them.
0: Uh, Transatlantic gave Anthony Hickok six weeks to shoot the film. Uh, he'd previously established a very fast shooting schedule that used long hours, which meant the cast had to adjust to his unorthodox style and the studio's demands. Bradley said that he worked for 17 hours straight one day and the large number of scenes shot daily meant uh, that he had little time to perfect them. Which is shocking because he's the only good actor in this film. Yeah, yeah. Hickox's preference for in-camera editing sped up production but limited the actor's view of the complete film. Unlike the previous Howraiser films, the stages used were all very close to each other and shared a single soundstage, which made shooting simultaneously with multiple crews difficult. okay. Another piece to the puzzle. There we are. Former New World exec Lawrence Kupin picked up the rights to the series and quickly formed Transatlantic Entertainment with the purpose of producing sequels to several New World Picture films. The initial lineup included Hellraiser Three, Children of the Corn Two, Wanted: Dead or Alive Two, Angel Four, and The Cover, and Crimes of Passion Two. Oh. But only the sequels to Hellraiser, Children of the Corn, and Angel. Ah, uh, eventuated, which is very sad. I I would love to see a sequel to Crimes of Passion. Yes. Um, Angel Four, as in the um.
1: Is it schoolgirl by day,
0: prostitute I by night? I believe so. I believe so. A of f- series of films. <laughs> um, the descendant of First World War veterans, Doug Bradley, was deeply affected by the scenes of the soldiers fighting in the trenches. He would later comment that when witnessing the extra-stressed British and German soldiers huddling around fires to keep warm in the early dawn, uh, at dawnlight, it ceased to be a film for him. It simply seemed so real. Dude, don't put yourself through this for hours <laughs> three. Come on. <laughs> right. Jesus. Okay. I mean, it makes for some horrific imagery in a scene that it is used, but come on, guys. Did you need this in there? Did you really? I knows? Is it worth... He D- doesn't have to put up with enough that he has to sit in that makeup all fucking day. Jeez, poor Doug Bradley. This, this episode is dedicated to Doug Bradley. Sympathy for Doug Bradley. Yeah. The man needs a paycheck and he-, he goes to some extreme lengths for it. <laughs> well, there we go, I suppose. That's acting for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so getting into the film, an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound pinhead and his legions back to hell. Oh. Um, we get the usual black background, white text, opening credits with the iconic score for the last time, sadly.
1: Yeah, yeah, that
0: is true. They try and redo it. Yeah, it doesn't work. It. <laughs> J.P. Monroe, the womanising owner of a popular nightclub called The Boiler Room, get it? Freddy Krueger, Boiler Room. Uh, steps out of his fancy car and his fancy shoes and goes to a sketchy-looking shop.
1: Yeah, you can see how the hunky guy in the film is a lot different now. Yeah. Uh, compared to Uncle Frank in the first film, he <laughs> was very rough and ready. Um, JP is, He's got his fancy shirt on, and, uh... Yeah.
0: Slimy in a different way.
1: Well, yeah, it very much, um... A yuppie, I think you would call it. I know I know this is nineteen ninety two, but it, it very much feels like an eighties film at times. Uh quite dated at yeah. that point.
0: Um Honestly I thought he was Zach Gallagher for the longest time. I thought he was as well,
1: yeah. Um but it's very much the eighties yuppie stereotype yeah. of um money equals womanizer. Yes. But he's a, a handsome fella, Bless him.
0: The revelation of his own former humanity in Hellraiser 2 Causes Pinhead, a demon called a Cenobite To be split into two entities His former self, World War I British Army Captain Elliot Spencer And a manifestation of Spencer's id Which takes on the form of Pinhead While Spencer ends up in limbo Pinhead is trapped along with a puzzle box Among the uh, riffing figures and distorted faces Etched into the surface of an ugly ass fucking pillar Yeah uh, the Pillar of Souls, it's Looks called. Looks nothing like it did in part No, two. this is a completely different thing. And it really shocks me when they have a flashback to part two. It's like, guys, come on. You've got to try and hide the fact that this is not the same pillar. Yeah, um, Yeah, and JP buys it. He does? for From some random Charles Manson lookalike? It's very Hal raises idea of a homeless person. Guy. Oh,
1: yeah but he, he just walks into the art gallery there's art everywhere yeah and he buys it um yeah and that's it you never see the guy who sold it to him again no he pays whatever he thinks is worth yes, yes. Um, so ten fifty, um and it's his he owns it
0: yeah um an ambitious young television reporter joanne joey summerskill uh, who we find out is very bored. No story. No life. Just very pissed off. <laughs> oh jeez.
1: <she's...
0: laughs>
1: yeah, bless her. Um, she's. It's confusing because she has a really nice apartment. She's a beautiful view. But by all accounts, she's a struggling reporter who might lose a job unless she finds a really juicy story. Yes. Um, so who knows, but she isn't finding it at
0: the hospital,
1: to begin with.
0: No, no, she sees Hulk Ch- well, before this, uh, uh cameraman, Hulk Hogan, uh, also I mean Doc, uh, tells her the story of her life would be right round the corner, I shit you not, the story of her life is literally right round right the corner, round and that's the how corner. fucking stupid the writing in this film right is. Right round the corner. Um, anything to say about a cameraman? And his uh, wonderful acting skills. Well, he struggles. Bless him. <laughs> uh, he hasn't got much to do, though. To be fair,
1: but he does have that moustache. He was giving me um, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Um, and he was also giving me that guy who's in everything, and I can't remember his name. Um, the something? Is it Clancy Brown? Clancy Brown.
0: Clancy <laughs> okay. Brown. Is giving Not me... Hulk Hogan.
1: He, wasn't getting, he was going to be a little bit of Hulk Hogan. A little bit of Hulk Hogan.
0: Yes. Yeah, I mean, he's psychic as well. He told her the story of her life around the corner. And it was, so she sees hooked chains. But he's already gone by that point. He, he, yeah. Before before it comes round. Yeah, she sees hooked chains embedded in a teenage club goer in a hospital emergency room. They come to life and tear the club goer to pieces. They do. Thankfully, we still have a budget, so the special effects still look great by this point. Yeah,
1: it's definitely given me, you know, the end of The Fury. Yeah. Where, yeah. um... John Cassavetes explodes. Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, it was definitely giving me that kind of explosion. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Attention-grabbing opening. Uh-huh. It starts off well, actually. This yeah. film does start off well. It's interesting. Um... Then she gets the bus home and doesn't seem particularly phased by it. No. I just feel I understand it's a film. Um but if I was to have seen someone explode in front of me, I would have been like, Do you know what Chris? You know, treat yourself to a taxi home. You know, you've been it's not very nice what you've been through. You know. Don't get the bus home, don't extend it. Just get a taxi home, you know, raid the fridge, run a bath, um, but she doesn't seem particularly phased no. by it all. Um, and she really isn't because she is more interested in the juicy story. Yeah. <laughs> um, she goes to see a producer, don't she? Yeah. And they're rewatching one of her tapes of her doing an interview. And he isn't impressed by the way she crosses her legs. Because <laughs> she needs to show a bit more skin. It was basic instinct at by this point. <laughs> um, well, it was the same year. Um, but yeah, he's not impressed. Sex sells, um So, by all accounts, she's struggling as a uh, reporter. Um, she sticks by her morals, though. What did yes. she say? What did she say? Tight stories, not tight skirts. <laughs>
0: Get yeah, that on a business card. <laughs>
1: um, and she's got really juicy story that she's gonna, you know. No one seems too faced by this guy no, exploded. No, no <laughs> one this gives guy a shit.
0: exploded. <laughs> like, the police don't even get involved, do they? I, and the, the worst part is, really? I don't think that's even a style choice. I think it's just genuinely bad writing and directing. I mean, we know what happens later on during explosions on the street.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: that's true. Uh, Yeah, no one seems faced with this guy
1: exploding in front of them. Like, it's an everyday... I know it's set in New York, and they're a bit, you know, unfazed by a lot of things.
0: This dude exploded.
1: (laughs) Come on, now.
0: Um, In an extended scene, um, which you can see on the Arrow video release... um, we get uh, Joey going to The boiler room And We quickly realise The boiler room Is a gay bar No it's not Oh it's absolutely A gay bar Chris A gay bar For the gays That are into ha- Hair metal bathroom Cause it's, <laughs> Okay What does the doorman Say to her Doorman says
1: <laughs> Doorman says um, Sweetheart You're not too young You're too straight <laughs> Not going straight, like straight because she's dressed in a like, fucking pencil. She's serving executive realness. Yes, and everyone else is in kinky gear. Yeah, of course. What he did say is the screenwriter watched uh... that man All Street 2. <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> wow, Gary. Let's talk body double.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously. If body, we're going to talk yeah.
1: kinky nightclub scenes, it's got to be body double. Thank you yeah, very much. M- no, so yeah, Street The show's a difference in taste on this podcast, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> well, I don't see Frankie, uh, I guess, to Hollywood performing in this podcast. because I couldn't so. afford it. <laughs> um, I mean, we do get a hair metal band performing, now. We do.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, every time we Because. I might as well say it now. This boiler room is meant to be the hippest, coolest place in town. Everyone's dying to get in, this, that, and the other. And the only music they play and the only bands that perform are hair metal bands. Yeah. Um. Which by 1992 were really out of style. Yeah. Like 1992 is the year Wayne's World came out and pretty much parodied hair metal. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's clearly not the coolest tippest place. No. And lots of the patrons look like they're dressed either like in kinky stuff or like they're dressed like the B fifty twos. It's true. Which I love. <laughs> but it's 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 quite jarring, isn't it? It's well, like, well which one do you choose.
0: There's some weird art throughout the place. Specifically it keeps focusing on this baby man uh, this baby doll in uh, in barbed wire and a blindfold. Oh to look edgy. edgy. <laughs> um, very Clive Barker. Uh yeah there are go go dancers as well. Uh, it's it's a very weird place. I... In the extended version there's a topless there is yeah. There. Um so she confronts JP looking for Terry who was uh at the hospital where the guy who exploded. And uh he uh, tries chatting her off a bit She's like I don't become your type you see. I'm out of grade school. Like, okay this queen means business. She, means she doesn't listening. care about people exploding. She wants her fucking story. She wants to pay those bills and get a slightly more fancier apartment, probably. But I mean, she's already got quite a lot as it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, career goals. Come on, we're
1: really high up with a great view yeah. of New York. Yeah, I don't know what like, else she wants. But now that would set you back like millions.
0: Yeah. But you know, she just wants to get a job done. she Wants to be good at a job. Um... Joey has recurring nightmares uh, about how she presumes her father died in Vietnam. Point yeah, that's a big,
1: big theme of the film is her relationship with her father and her father having died in battle before she was born in Vietnam. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really get the point of this.
0: We really could have done about this and it probably wouldn't have been a better it film. It kind of
1: felt a bit forced to give her a bit of backstory yeah. of her character. Um, And it obviously relates to the story of Spencer in World War One and and such, and the idea of war. Um, But it just, it feels shoehorned in, to be fair. So, she finally meets Terry, don't she? Yeah. Yeah, Properly. Uh, Terry is homeless, um, but doesn't seem homeless I, I, I don't understand the story there she either. has
0: a different outfit for every fucking scene yeah and they get uglier as they go on by the way also worst actor in the film she's, Jesus she's, she's a beautiful girl but she's <laughs> struggling yeah I mean she's, she's very glamorous she's like yeah. A part in homeless isn't she's she like she's like really the glamorous.
1: ex-girlfriend of JP the most handsome richest man in town and yet apparently she's homeless yeah um, but Terry explains that the chain sprang from the puzzle box, which she pried from the pillar, uh, and then Terry gives the puzzle box to Joey. Very dramatic shot. Very dramatic. <laughs> I thought, oh, was this meant to be Harry's a three D? You know, and they like <laughs> shove it towards the camera. Um, we learn something pointless. We learn about Terry as well. that She doesn't dream. <laughs> Um, it's giving me awkward first date. It is. It really is the way they're talking to each other. It's like, like you know that first date interview where you don't <laughs> want to pry too much, um, and then one of them accidentally gives away too much. But you know, their dad in Vietnam. So then the other feels like they can share. Um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird energy they've
0: what, got. What makes me laugh is all the random shots of Terry where she's uh, like looking into the distance or whatever and she's meant to be emoting somewhere or another but because they're acting so bad it just looks like random shots of her face where she's not doing anything. Yeah, it's a real shame. <laughs> and also, we've, again, going back to her outfits and the fact that she's meant to be homeless we've seen how the Howl franchise portrays homeless people. It's true. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> really? You really expect us to believe that she's homeless? Um, whilst investigating the box's background, uh, Joey invites, uh, Terry to stay with her. So literally, she just meets this girl, and she's like, yeah, move in with me, whatever. Yeah, essentially,
1: yeah, to investigate this box. Um, JP gets bitten by a rat. He does. From inside the statue, and his blood makes the cool blue lightning effect
0: happen. Yes. Hey. Um, yeah, something happens with that pillar, and, uh it's uh, going to involve someone coming back to life, because we've well, seen it's the Well, it's a bit like films.
1: The Mattress, isn't it? Yeah. In the, uh, in the second film. Oh, uh, and and the first film, where yeah. the blood brings Frank back. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. Terry, a self-confessed kitchen virgin, cooks breakfast for Joey and makes an absolute fucking state of her kitchen.
1: And yet, and acts like it's not... Like, okay, you might not be a great cook, <laughs> but <laughs> if something's on fire then you know you're not doing it right. Yeah. Unless, you you know, it's flambé.
0: I don't know why Joey's okay with this. Like, why is she not? Like, get the fuck out of here. What but, are like, you, you doing? you literally stayed here one night and you've destroyed my kitchen. <sighs> um, she uncovers papers from Dr. Chanard whilst breaking into the gallery where JP got the pillar. Now, you may remember Dr. Chanard um, and his wonderful singing voice. Yeah. Um, which kept do an impression. No. Um, you do one there we go Uh, he was the bad guy in Hellraiser 2 who said random things and then made that noise after but she finds the papers from him um Pinhead remains dormant until Monroe
1: so they break into the I'll just go back a bit it was a funny thing there um Joey thinks it's going to take ages to find the information they're looking for in all this paperwork but Terry literally finds diagrams of the box in the first <laughs> file she opens. Like, oh, look at all this. It's going to take us ages to find what we're looking for. Hey, look what I found. And that's it. Great. Terry, she might not be a great cook,
0: but she can sniff out yeah, the document. Apparently. Um, Monroe has rough sex with Sarah Jessica Parker. She's given Sarah Jessica
1: as very specific sarah jessica parker when she um had that kind of uh in in sex in the city that um just above the shoulder hair yeah um when she goes on the train to the other side of the country
0: <laughs> yes sandy in <laughs> sandy's in the club serving that look um uh, monroe invites upstairs and this is well, we she's get the... far too impressed by a single
1: rose. Well, she is, yeah. It
0: doesn't take much, but so.
1: Yeah, they have awkward, owl my boobs, stop squishing them, <laughs> sex. Uh, She keeps her boots on. She does. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and this is how, because I get a, little, a few bits from Wikipedia. Um, well, Wikipedia described it as rough sex. Yeah. Um, afterward, Hooked Chains drags Sandy to the pillar. Well, before that... she's having a right go at him. She, yeah.
0: Um, JP shines his shoes straight after sex. Ew. <laughs> as if he couldn't be more of a fucking douche stereotype. Uh, and then tells Sandy to get out. So she's like, you shit, who do you think you are? <laughs> and yeah, Hooked Chains drag her in. So uh, Pinhead can absorb her body, drags her skin off. Yeah, it's a... Pinhead
1: points out that they have both used Sandy for their own purposes.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> like, okay, what are you trying to say?
0: Um, I think that, yeah, they're trying to be deep there, I think. I think they're
1: trying to... Because, obviously, him being a kind of yuppie stereotype. Yeah. I think they're trying to say something there about using and abusing people.
0: Yeah, and...
1: Uh, <laughs> but Jake... then, uh But then give Pinhead funny one-liners.
0: Yeah, so... JP's like, Jesus Christ. And Pinhead, in his first line of dialogue in the film that isn't him screaming, is like, not quite. Yeah, Yeah, Pinhead screams so much in his fucking (laughs) first. Although initially
1: horrified, Monroe agrees to bring Pinhead more club members so he can feed on them and be freed.
0: Yeah, this whole sequence really contradicts the whole this isn't a comedy thing, because I mean. He shoots Pinhead and Pinhead like catches the bullets in his mouth and spits, spits them out them like out. seriously. Uh,
1: in return Pinhead promises Monroe power and a natural delight. Yes. Um, so yeah very much uh the formula for how so yeah. far you know uh Pinhead well in the first film it was Uncle Frank. Yeah. In the second film it was for Julia for julia and in this film it's for pinhead himself yeah because they smell a franchise and wanted to put pinhead at the center of that this because in the first two films he's not really the main antagonist well
0: he was never meant to be no um you know if i remember right i think the female center Bite was meant to be the leader and of course pinhead himself was a woman yeah initially um uh, which they're redoing in the remake
1: but i mean in terms of antagonists the real antagonist in the first film is Uncle Frank, Frank. Yeah, in the second film, it's Chanard and Julia. Yeah, you know, with a little bit of Frank thrown in, and in this one, it's it's Hellraiser himself. Because spoiler alert, Morgan doesn't even kill that many people. Like Sandy is the only person he actually manages. Morgan. Oh, his name's Monroe.
0: Morgan. Monroe. Why <laughs> am I saying Morgan? Um. Yeah. No. You. Oh. It's because it's been a year since we watched uh, *Killer Barbies* or *Dracula with Signor Morgan*. No. No, it's not. <laughs> Maybe it's Sonia Morgan. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. You're absolutely right. And this is why they've got the franchise so wrong. It's why they've got *Texas Chainsaw Massacre* so wrong. You know, first *Texas Chainsaw Massacre*, it's Leatherface and his fucked up family. Mm. First *Howl's* the film is Pinhead and the Cenobites. They bring those same Cenobites back for the sequel, but then this one, they make up all new ones, and the main focus isn't any other Cenobites, it's Pinhead. You know, they turn him into a slasher villain, like they do with Leatherface in the Texas Chains of Massacre sequels. Um, That's where they fall apart, because it's never just this singular character, yeah, he's a cool character, yeah, he's a horror icon, that's great. But the other supporting characters are just as great. I mean, Chatterer's great. The female Cenobite's great. Butterball's great. You know, the, that Im- the imagery of those three with Pinhead was what was intimidating in the first two. The, all four of them. It was creepy. Yeah. At
1: the end of the day, Pinhead was always the look queen. Yeah. You know, but when it came to the acting challenges and the comedy challenges, the, you know, it didn't hold up. But really, because the the main point is that, like Leatherface, mm. what was scary was the silence. Yeah. Was the, the, you know, the look, you know, not the quips. And, and that the thing is with Freddy Krueger, in The First Nightmare on Elm Street, the scary part was he was very talkative. Yeah. Because he'd read you to filth and then kill you. Yeah. But that's not what... Pinhead was about Well he had a sense of humour Because he was never The main antagonist No
0: It wasn't the point But he had a sense of humour In the first two You know He he did There were You know A few lines here and there um, Like where he You know Curse is telling him about uh, You know She's back and whatever And he's laughing at her and that. There's, there's that sort of Sick twisted sense of humour There Like But it's not For comedic purposes if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. There are a few lines here and there in the first two... Where... You know... He does talk... But he has such a presence... And Doug Bradley has that voice... Um, where it's still intimidating. Yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. But when it's too much But when it, you get to it part three... Work. And it, every other line is a fucking joke... Yeah. That's when it's not intimidating anymore. And he just looks really cool. And But whenever he speaks... It just takes it out of it. And then they humanise
1: him with the whole Spencer character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, where were we? So, and you shouldn't be humanising your horror... No. You know, villain. No. You don't need humanising. Exactly. So, Joey Earls uncovered a videotape from one of Pinhead's former victims, Kirsty Cotton... Ashley Lawrence in an exclusive special appearance. <laughs> really grainy. Yeah, you could yeah. bet you, you there could have been anyone in a wig. You didn't even need to be Ashley Lawrence. <laughs> you can oversee her face. Um she, in the videotape she explains the puzzle box is the only means of returning Pinhead to Hal. So Pinhead, out of drag, appears on the video on his confessional and tells Joey that Kirstie's telling the truth.
1: Mm. Spencer.
0: Yes. Yeah, like, oh, she's telling the truth, Joey. And, oh, okay. Cheers. Um, Terry's reading a book on battles of the twentieth oh century. Oh, highly inappropriate. <laughs> she's been told about these dreams at this point as well. She, she knows. Had.
1: Oh, did you? Did your dad die in Vietnam? <laughs> I'm
0: just gonna read this book
1: in front of you. It's called Battles of the Twentieth Century. Wonder if any of the ones I'm reading about are the ones your dad died in.
0: <laughs> you know, I oh, how inappropriate. She notices the puzzle box is looking less rusty and starts feeling it up before she's interrupted by a call from JP telling her that he's a bad guy. He misses her and he invites her over. Uh, She tells him she can't and puts the phone down. But there's another call straight after telling Joey that she got the job in Monterey and that she'll have to sell her condo. Terry is fuming and leaves Joey a note saying enjoy Monterey you liar and leaves. Why? Please tell me.
1: No idea. Like, this whole Monterey thing is not, you know, mentioned before or after. No. Um, the whole premise of the film is that Joey is trying to make her name in reporting. Yeah. In New York. Um, there's no... They don't even have a conversation about it. I have no idea whether this mm-hmm. is... It's so forced. It comes completely out of nowhere. Um... Absolutely ridiculous. It
0: makes no sense. It's just an excuse to get her to the boiler room. Like, seriously? Yeah. She could have answered the call and been like, yeah, okay, I'm coming over.
1: Just as like, simple as that. They really don't know each other well enough for this
0: kind of reaction driver. No. It's very strange. I mean, <laughs> Joey doesn't give a shit because she just goes back to bed. Yeah. She, <laughs> she finds a note and goes to bed. Yeah, it's um. weird because
1: in a, in a bit, JP and Terry having a conversation and they're acting as if Terry and Joey were lovers. Yeah. So I question whether that was meant to have been written mm. that way. Um, but they were too um, scared to do a lesbian yeah. love scene. Because it definitely feels like they're written to it's it does. written to be a relationship between them that isn't mm. apparent in the film. Yeah. Um, Because this is just someone, you know, come live with me and we can try and solve this mystery. Um, But if there had been a sexual relationship between the two, Mm -hmm. it would have made more sense. Yeah. Um, So maybe they just, it had been written that way, but they just didn't go with that in the end. Yeah,
0: wouldn't surprise me. JP attempts to feed Terry to Pinhead, uh, but she overpowers him. By becoming a butch queen, putting on some knuckle dusters and punching him. Yeah, where she's got the knuckle dusters from? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, fucking homeless, but she has a pair of knuckle dusters and also another new outfit between the scene and the last one. Exactly, the worst, yeah. Yeah. Um, Before she can flee, Pinhead talks her into feeding Monroe to him, uh, promising to turn her into a demon in return. Yeah. So, eating JP makes the babies on the pillar come to life, lights shine through it, the statues start spunking everywhere. Uh and it explodes unleashing Pinhead. Yes, she's back. back, back it's such again. a cool reveal. Like, no matter how bad this film is, the, the reveal of Pinhead in the scene is just so fucking cool. Doug Bradley is great in this role. Like he really such a is. Blur. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, season three, let's get sickening. I know it's a different queen, but still relevant. Um he doesn't do the splits though. But this is why Actually, no, I mean, all the other sequels are shit after this. But, you know, Bill Bradley has that presence there. And when you get to, like, Howery's and Revelations, where they, t- <laughs> where they cast the fucking Phil Mitchell-looking guy's pin, it just doesn't work. No. I mean, I think this new female one could be good because it's taken on a different angle. Who's I believe... I will do a bit of unprofessional research on this, and I will let you know because should I'm I not sure. Have asked the question? No, I no, you should have, because I would like to. Uh... Jamie Clayton, is pinhead. Jamie Clayton, yes, uh, she is an actress and model. Oh, lovely! Yeah, she's in Sense Eight. On the L word. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think she's going to be great in the role. Um. Who was it from Drag Race who auditioned? Oh, uh was it Got Mick? Got Mick, Got yeah. Mick. I mean is... that would have been great.
1: Yeah, Got Mick. Um, yeah, did a wonderful drag
0: mm. version of Hellraiser yeah. uh, of Hellraiser. Pinhead. Of... Pinhead, thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um I I have faith in this film, um, because it's not another sequel, thankfully. Yeah. Um during another one of her dreams, uh, because she couldn't give a shit about Terry, um, Spencer contacts Joey and she walks through her mirror into the opening scene of How Eraser 2, to which she informs him, I just walked through madness for you. <laughs> <laughs> it did not seem that maddening. No. To be fair. Um, he explains that his experiences in World War One caused him to lose faith in humanity, yeah. uh, and he sought out the forbidden pleasures promised by the puzzle box, the extended version has some really horrific imagery of dead soldiers in the trenches. It kind of because it's Hellraiser. It kind of fits, but at the same time, feels slightly out of place compared to the rest of the tone, the tones in the film. Yeah, if it'd been if that
1: kind of scene was in the first two films, yeah. it would kind of make more sense. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's I I I get what they're trying to do. And the idea of, you know, this is very much based in fantasy, mm. but, you know, there's horrific things in life as well. Yeah. Um, which, in, you know, handled better, would have, you know, worked. Yeah. But it, it's clunky.
0: Yeah, Spencer tells that, about his humanity to act as a bouncing influence... Pinhead is completely evil and will indiscriminately wreak havoc on Earth for his own pleasure in violation of the Cenobites' laws. Well, I mean, he he, he had plenty of chances to do that in the first two, but anyway. Uh, to, yeah, I don't <laughs> understand
1: the Cenobites' <laughs> laws.
0: Thing. I know. Yeah, and to defeat him, Joey must reunite Spencer's spirit with Pinhead and use the puzzle box to return him to hell. Well, I mean, it didn't really work out so well for him last time. Considering exactly. you know, yeah. Literally, Hellraiser too. he see, he noticed his human self, and he turned into a good guy, but now he's back, and he's all of a sudden wanting to kill everyone on Earth? Get fucked. So lazy, this writing. Uh, to defeat him, yeah, we've already told you that. Triumph uh, play Troublemaker in the Boiler Room, the, air, the hair metal band. Lovely. <laughs> Banger. On our playlist on Spotify, now it's what I call HorrorCultureShiver. Nice. Along with uh, Howraiser by Motorhead. Nice. Uh yeah, the wire baby starts to come to life as there's a statue holding a heart in the wall. Uh there's an explosion and Pinhead appears and says, Shall we begin? Uh and this scene is fucking great. Uh Pinhead massacres everyone in the club. He rips someone's finger off, uh part of someone's face, he turns his he turns his head in a bizarre series of events, into an icicle and stabs a woman in her mouth. <laughs> yeah. So fucking stupid. Uh, sends CDs flying into the DJ's face. Uh,
1: yeah, well the DJ's playing and these CDs are above him and it, yeah. it's it's very nineteen ninety two effects, uh CGI. Um the DJ's like oh, oh, and looking <laughs> up, oh, 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 And then yeah, so the uh I don't know how would you describe. I mean, become embedded in his head. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's a cool scene. It is. Um, again, you know, Brian De Palma did it better in Carrie, <laughs> <laughs>
0: much like the club scene. Brian De Palma did much better in Body Double. Um, James Cameron did it better in the Terminator. You know, I mean, there's so many better nightclub scenes, but <laughs> yeah, still, it you know. It's all this film's got going for it, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's good. It's the best
1: it's, scene of the film. It's a cool scene. It's a very cool
0: scene. It's the one that people remember the film for. Yes. Uh, this and the church scene. Everything else, I'm sure people could tell you anything. Uh, yeah, loads of chains are flying everywhere into people and the doors are locked. Chains are flying? Yes. <laughs> Here in the news reports, Joey calls Doc who flicks for his TV. Uh, one channel has an interview with director Anthony Hickox on it. <laughs> Uh, she asked him to go to the club with her to investigate. What's wrong with his TV? Like it has two channels, Anthony Hickox and people sitting around with a Turkish bath. Oh yeah, like <laughs> that's it. The only two channels he has. Was he was he flicking more? Well, he keeps flicking it. It's the same two channels. Oh. Strange. <laughs> uh, when Joey's car arrives, uh, Doc's car is there, but no one's in it. So she enters the club and finds lots of chains and corpses. Pinhead orders Joey to give him the box, but she escapes him after saying, You're going to have to come and get it, you ugly fuck. Yeah. (laughs) It's a bit harsh, really. No point coming for his looks, is there? (laughs) I mean, the library's open for Pinhead. He he didn't. He had the chance to read it, but he didn't. No. He is that type of villain now, so he could have done it.
1: So he's turned the barman. The DJ, and it's revealed Doc, into Cenobites. <laughs> uh, Terry and JP as well. Terry and... Yeah, but she doesn't see that till later, until she's no. at a construction site. No. So just for now, she's being traced through the uh, <laughs> streets, um, pursued by these three Cenobites. The barman
0: drinks alcohol Before... and then... Before we get to that point, before Why? we get to that point, uh, in a bizarre series of events, she runs into the streets. She causes a taxi driver to crash his cab. And burst a water pipe. Pinhead sends wires of electricity and chains after her. As well as, well as causing random things to explode. Uh, there's something going on during the scene though. There's two extras in the background. <laughs> And whilst all these things are exploding and she's running down the street and all this chaos is going on, these two extras are just taking a casual stroll down the street, walking around like nothing's going on. (laughs) They're not running, they're not screaming, nothing, they're just having a walk down the street. Yeah. (laughs) It's weird. But yeah, then that's when we get the the new Cenobites. Yeah. Yeah? Um, So, Doc... He has a camera uh, embedded in his eye now. Yeah, like, oh, swear, like a... he looks like one of the Borgs from Star Trek. He, he does. He, the first thing he says is, Have you seen what you did to me, you little bitch? He uses his camera head to kill a random guy who is really not that worried about what's going on. And he's like, Ready for your close up, Joey? <laughs> Um,
1: They look fucking awful. They do. They (laughs) really do. For how good, you know, the blood and guts effects are, they look like shit. Yeah.
0: Um, The DJ has the CDs in his head still and some barbed wire. Mm. Um, He sends CDs flying into a taxi driver's head. Uh, And the barman, yeah, this is the weird one. Um, He looks like the barbed wire baby from the club. Um and he has a cocktail shaker that he uses to throw gasoline and set people on fire. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's um He breathes fire for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, it but it's it's gone from that sort of S and M thing in the first two films. Yeah. To gimmicky. Yeah. Which is, I mean, if you're doing a comedy, you know, then that would work, gimmicky sort of Cenobites. Mm-hmm. You could continue that through the series. But if you're also going to take yourself seriously,
0: that doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the Cenobites kill local police. Doc says, that's a wrap. And um I don't know why. All three of these Cenobites make me think of RoboCop 3. You do keep doing an impression of RoboCop. Yeah. It just put a mix me think of RoboCop three the shit one. Um, I've tried to forget that one. <laughs> I don't know why it's making me think. I don't know there's like characters that look similar, but the sort of makes me think of. Yeah, Joey enters a church and begs a priest to help her. He says, "Demons aren't real; they're parables, and metaphors." Pinhead enters the church and. Is he meant to say that. <laughs> well, Pinhead enters the church and Joey's like, "Then what the fuck is that?" <laughs> Um, the priest is appalled by the appearance of Pinhead, who defiles the church. Uh, he puts two of his pins in his hand, does the uh, classic Jesus pose, uh, makes things explode, says, I am the way, another Bible quotes, and then force-feeds his flesh to the priest.
1: Yeah, um, it kind of looks like a pronk bag, doesn't it? Because <laughs> does. his flesh is kind of like a wiggly worm. or Yeah. Like... <laughs> Um, yeah, it, I see what they're going for, but it comes across a bit cheesy, I for... thought.
0: It does, yeah, you can tell they're trying to shock. Um, and yeah, Doug Bradley does everything he can with it, but. He, it's, it's giving me. It's a ball! Yeah, yeah, it's very nice. The whole thing's so fucking Freddy Krueger. It's so yeah. Cool. Um, he almost kills the priest until Joey regains his attention to the puzzle box uh, and gets him to chase her. Then... Chase me. She goes to a construction site uh, where the Cenobite's prepare to torture her, including Terry. Um, She has a cigarette coming out of her throat. That's her Cenobite reason,
1: thing. Yeah, I don't know why her... I mean, she had a few cigs earlier on in the film, <laughs> but I didn't think that was a character, real character trait.
0: Biggest puzzle What else would she have? Well, yeah, exactly. Another ugly outfit. Um... JP, what the fuck is that on his head? Yeah, I've... Like, some form of screws or something? Like yeah, just drill? Constantly going into his head. It looks ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I don't know what... You know, if you're if you going to make some cheesy character trait Cenobites, then at least be consistent with it. You know, he could have...
0: I don't know. Had, like, a drill on his dick or something. Like, in. You know, <laughs> something like that flamboyant shirts or something like that Um, she solves the puzzle box and they're all sent to hell oh my god how pissed off would you be if you were the actors playing Terry and JP they got all into their Cenobite fucking makeup and everything like okay yeah you're going to hell straight away yeah for like a minute (laughs) like no time and for the first time in the Howl Razor franchise someone calls him by his name Joey says play with this pinhead (laughs)
1: Which I'm assuming is meant to be an insult Not that Pinhead is his actual name (laughs) Yeah But, so, in between So, the first two films Was he known as Pinhead? Yeah So did the first film come out And he was Because I've only known him to be called Pinhead
0: He was Leeds I I think he was called Leeds Cenobite Or Male Cenobite in Originally Yeah um, but yeah, then I think audiences latched on to calling him Pinhead.
1: Pinhead, and then it just stuck. Yeah. And is he credited as Pinhead? He is. Yeah. Yeah. I see.
0: The box transports Joey into limbo, where she comes face to face with an apparition who appears to be a dead father. And, up until this point, she's been, you know, career determined, bit of a queen, a good final girl... But then this girl's like, "Uh, I am definitely your father. I'm absolutely not Pinhead. (laughs) Give me the box, bitch. And she's like, oh, yeah, here you go. You fucking serious. You fucking idiot. Um, Yeah, it's Pinhead in disguise. Of course it is. And she actually gave him the box.
1: Yeah, that was dopey of her. That was
0: dopey. He then puts her in machinery and prepares to transform her into a Cenobite. Spencer's limbo-bound spirit confronts Pinhead... Uh, and forcibly fuses himself into Pinhead after the the best dialogue in the film, where he Spencer says, now nah, we're going to hell, and Pinhead says, ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy
1: that. That did make me laugh. Uh,
0: Joey breaks free and uses the puzzle box, which is transformed into a dagger for some reason, to stab Pinhead through the heart, sending him back to hell. Yeah. She kind of... Um, completes
1: the puzzle to make it (laughs) into a dagger. Oh, I don't fucking know. And then another sort of like point at the screen sort of moment. So it may. I feel like this was supposed to be a 3D lesbian film. (laughs) Um,
0: But it didn't quite work out that way. No. Um, Thoughts on the effect of uh, Spencer and Pinhead forming into one? Um, I'm assuming it was... Shit, I I mean I didn't re- kind I of really remember. Yeah, it's all right. It's not. It's better than the uh, merging effects from the next film. Um, I think I don't know actually. You, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. It's all right. It's fine. Um, with Pinhead's humanity restored, the box returns Joey to Earth. She buries it in a pool of concrete. Remember that for the next film at the construction site. Later, the finished product of the same site is revealed, a building whose interior design is identical to the box, and we are then given Hellraiser by Motorhead over the end credits. And that's Hellraiser 3. That's Hellraiser 3. (coughs) Um, That's
1: Hellraiser 3 Try Harder. The beginning of the end for the franchise. Um, Which is shocking, considering it's you look okay, you look at the third instalments of these franchises. Um Dream Warrior. Yeah. Incredible. Um Friday the thirteenth 3D. Yeah. Entertaining. Yeah. Halloween three, Season of the Witch. Mm-hmm. An acquired taste. Entertaining. <laughs> Hair Razor <the> 3. Ugh. <laughs> Like, oh, you don't want it to be too formulaic, but no. you still want by the third installment, you still want it to be true to the original, yeah, yeah. um, and it's oh, it was I don't know how to describe it because I'm not mass I'm not absolutely fuming at it, no, um, but there's a lot wrong with it that could have been done better, yeah. I wish they would have gone for the darker, more serious tone. Yeah. Because that's how it should have been. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's too much going on. Uh, you're humanising Pinhead, which I think is a silly silly thing to do. Yeah. In the third film. Um, you've got Joey's relationship with her father. You've got Terry and JP, which doesn't feel fully formed. Mm-hmm. JP doesn't really feel fully formed as a character, even though he's an antagonist in the yeah. film for most of it. He only actually sacrifices one person to Pinhead. Yeah. Um. And it's just...
0: Messy. Messy. It is, messy it is, is the word mess. I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. Messy. Yeah. The whole thing's one big mess. Yeah. I mean, I don't completely hate it. No. Um I've seen the entire franchise. This is not even close to being the worst one. It's um, it's actually not the worst one we're discussing today. Are no, we? no. Um, yeah, it's you know if I was watching the three of the trilogy, I wouldn't be against watching it again. Uh, preferably, I'd just watch one and two though. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say oh, I'm never watching that piece of shit again because it is fun, it is entertaining for the most part. It's just fucking shit, though. Yeah. yeah, it it's messy, but it's silly. Yeah, it it's a silly mess. Yeah, you
1: can still be entertained by. Just don't, you know, don't spend an hour of your life discussing it on a
0: podcast. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've done it for you. Yeah, um. But sadly, we'll have to move on to this one. How Razer Bloodline from nineteen ninety six. Directed by Alan Smithy. Now, he gets around a bit. Uh, he did Stitches, 1985, Let's Get Harry, Gypsy Angels, Catch Fire, Bloodsucking Farrows in Pittsburgh, which I personally really liked. Raging Angels, Smoke and Lighting, um, Dilemma, Near Wolf, Sex and Water, Death Call, etc., etc. He's got a very extensive career. It's because he's not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> He is a name that directors like to use when they're so embarrassed that the finished products.
1: Yeah, essentially, if a director has made a film, it's usually if they believe there's been too much interference by studios. Yeah. Um, and therefore the product isn't actually... A product for their work. Yeah. Then they can have the director's name changed to Alan Smithy.
0: Yeah, the actual director.
1: generally means a death toll. Yeah. At the box office, though.
0: (laughs) Which is shocking. When we get to the Hamish's Made, that's quite shocking. It Um, doesn't happen to good films. No. Kevin Yeager is the actual director. He was a producer on Sleepy Hollow. He did Makeup and Special Effects for 13, Going on 30, Blow... Face Off, Mission Impossible 2, The Dentist, Dr. Jekyll and Miss Hyde, Rumpelstiltskin, Children of the Corn 3, Honey I Blew Up the Kids, Bill and Ted Trilogy, Bride of Chucky, Freddy's Revenge, Dream Warriors, Dream Master, Phantom of the Opera, the Robert Englund one, The Final Chapter, Friday the 13th. So quite a good, he's got quite a good uh, portfolio on his belt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I don't blame him for taking his name off this. Budget, $4 million, and it made $9.3 million at a box office. How the fuck did this make that much money? It's not great, but that's far more than it deserves.
1: 1996, <laughs> where were other franchises at? Scream was beginning.
0: Uh, new well, Nightmare. Scream wasn't happened. until later in ninety six. true. So Scream um, was December. Yeah. So Nightmare on Elm Street had the had New Nightmare. New Nightmare didn't do point, particularly well. no misunderstood classic um friday the 13th had jason goes to hell yeah yeah everything was a mess uh, well apart from nightmare and outreach like i said new nightmare's up better. um but elsewhere i mean what you had fucking children of the corn 20 by this point yeah I, I, I
1: to, i'm just i'm surprised it made money yeah i am surprised it made money because of where horror was at that time yeah
0: uh, getting into the trivia, Adam Scott was grateful for getting cast, citing the film as being a huge deal for booking a real film, um, which he took very seriously. He remarked that on his first day to the set, he was shown his chair that was mistakenly labelled as Adam Craig. <laughs> <laughs> Scott said it was a nice welcome to Hollywood. Despite the film's troubled production and box office failure, Scott didn't care. Failure? I don't know, how is that a failure? You made your money back. You You're fucking lucky. Scott didn't care as long as he was working. Let like you're in need of work. Do we,
1: are we misunderstanding what makes a box office success and a box office failure? I mean, I, I suppose th- if you're looking at budget, that doesn't include marketing.
0: Yeah, if it doesn't include marketing, then that's... Then maybe it made a loss. Yeah, maybe. But seriously, it should have made less than this. A film like this, this is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Later, in need of work, Scott even auditioned for the sequel with the hope that the casting directors wouldn't remember him from the last film. And no one said anything in the audition. (laughs) However, he suspects someone remembered him because he wasn't hired. (laughs) Um, Walt Disney Pictures came into fire in the media when they purchased then controversial and hip Miramax films. (laughs) The initial Still controversial. (laughs) Not so hip. Uh, The initial slate of films that Miramax would be releasing under the Disney deal included How Is A Bloodline, Scream, The Prophecy, Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, Mm. and Mother's Boys. The outcry was due to the fact that Disney, a family-friendly film studio, would be directly involved in marketing and release of horror films, despite the fact that Miramax was only a uh, subsidiary uh, company. And the film wouldn't bear the Disney logo. Lionsgate uh, would eventually buy Miramax from Disney in the 2000s. People, are they over this now? Disney not just belonging to family stuff. I mean, we've got loads of adult stuff on Disney Plus now.
1: Yeah, it would have been different back then, though. Disney would have been known as family-friendly entertainment. And that's all they would have been known for. Yeah. Um... So, I can understand why, back in 1996, Disney releasing a mm-hmm. horror film would be... Oh, my Lord, good yeah. gracious. Um, obviously, now, things are much different. Yeah. Um. But you still... It's called Disney Plus, but anything adult-orientated on there comes under the Stars banner. mm mm-hmm. Um. So, there's still... Very much in keeping with the Disney family-friendly entertainment image.
0: Yeah, that's true. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, even when they're trying to uh, donate money to homophobic causes. That's a story for a different day. We haven't got time for that. I believe they've gone back on it now, but still... Due to the film's Yeah, yeah, they um, yeah, well. I believe they took their name off it now or something like that. Something to that effect anyway. Mm. A little too late. Due to the film's critical and financial failure, this would be the last Howard a film to get a wide theatrical release. Although some of the latest sequels are screened at film festivals and in various other limited screens before going straight to video. Th- this film was theatrically released. Just let that sink for a second. Yeah. This could have been seen at your local fucking Odeon or Showcase Cinemas or Cineworld if it was released nowadays. That is bizarre. Um,
1: yeah, I suppose so. I suppose it is bizarre. Um, but, you know, ultimately, it's a Hellraiser film, and it was a, a big name. Yeah, so, I I think... I think it's it's difficult to, kind of, for us to think of mm-hmm. these random sequels getting theatrical releases. I mean, I know we've just had Scream 5, but Scream 5 was a huge deal. Yeah. There's gaps in between. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, I was never that interested in Saw at the time, but Saw is probably the most recent one. Where they were churning out yeah. the sequels, and they are all getting theatrically released. That's true. Like, oh, Final Destination 5, I saw that in the cinema. Yeah, Paranormal Activity. Do you know? And Lord knows Final Destination 5 was shit. Yeah.
0: Excuse me, no it wasn't. Well, That's was four. W- Which one did
1: I see? Four. The one with the car wash? Four. Oh, okay, four was shit. <laughs> anyway. So I suppose it makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, Absolutely
0: though no promotional photos of aristocratic Cenobites wearing white powdered wigs were released in various sci-fi magazines to promote the film. The Cenobites were cut from the finished film along with demon clowns and an entire balloon, balloon ballroom fancy dress party as the studio wanted to get to Pinhead's story sooner. Ugh. I Honestly, demon clowns and white powdered wigs might have brightened us up a little. Again, might have, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Nothing could. Dal Toro declined the chance to direct this film? Yeah. Good on him. I feel like he could have done something good with this, though. This is...
1: I felt like he could have done something good with Nightmare.
0: Wow. Well, in the of films and their legacy, author Paul Kane described this screenplay as ambitious and one of the best of sequels.
1: The thing is, at the end of the day, we could sit here and say, oh, so-and-so would have made this a great film. So-and-so would have made this a great film. Um, but ultimately, a lot of we see a pattern where a lot of these kind of films fail because the director can't get along with the um, producers. Yeah. Or the writer doesn't get along with the director and the producer and so, so on and so forth. Or the studio... It, you know, has too much say, and the director takes that personally. Hence, Alan Smithy, you know all that business. So, I suppose you could turn around and say, "Well, David Cronenberg would have made a wonderful version of this film." Mm. But David Cronenberg probably would have gotten into an even bigger argument with the, you yeah. know, yeah. production comp, you know, the producers or the studio or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a difficult one. It's it's difficult, and obviously we're not there on set, so we don't know, and it's been a very long time. So when we ridicule the film, we we are sort of... I think sometimes it's sort of aimed all at the director
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I don't think it's always the director's not. fault when a film fails. I mean, they've got to be somewhat responsible for yeah. it. Yeah. You know? Um, but I I don't think you can point it all in the director's direction no i don't think so
0: put it fully intended uh yeah uh yeah so paul kane he wrote a screenplay featuring a linear timeline um more special effects and violent confrontations between pinhead and angelique oh when miramax was unwilling to provide a budget to realize these scenes Uh, The film was scaled back. Stuart Gordon, known for his low-budget horror films, was approached to direct but backed out after artistic disagreements. Special effects technician Kevin Yeager uh, was subsequently hired after his cost-saving directing work on Tales from the Crypt for Joel Silver. Yeager was initially hesitant about taking the job as he did not want to do a retread of the previous instalments. Of the Howraiser franchise. Fucking
1: hell, I wish he had. I wish he did. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. However, he was impressed with the script and became enthusiastic after Clive Barker uh, described his vision for the film. Yeah, so this is listed as Clive Barker presents Howraiser. So Clive Barker knew all this shit was going on. (laughs) Rimmer, uh, played by Christine Harnos, was originally male but was re- rewritten in later draft after several female characters are streamlined out, including a descendant of Kirsty Cotton who would serve as Paul's love interest. Oh. Wow. Was allegedly intended to be the final Howraiser film. Ending with Pinner destroyed once and for all. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. He's destroyed once and for all, like fucking fifty years into the I future. Know, yeah. What does that mean for the present timeline? We know it's he's still time alive, time. and yeah. many more sequels can be made. Fucking idiots.
1: Well, he's never alive, really. No, I mean, it's never really explained how he comes back. Yeah. In part three, <laughs> you know what? Why is he in this statue? Why, you know. Why is he not back with the box? Why is the box in the st- I don't get it. Or am I misremembering part two? I don't no. Know.
0: Um, Stuart Gordon, yeah, we you know he was attached. Joe Chappelle was the studio's first choice to direct the film and actually agreed to direct Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers on the understanding he'd be allowed to direct this film, which he was more interested in. Oh, Lord. <laughs> But eventually declined the offer due to feeling he burned screwed out. screwed either way. <laughs> Bloody hell. Well, yeah, he, he declined it because he was burned out after the production of Razor 6. Uh, Chappelle was eventually brought on board... Halloween after, 6. Yeah. After Jaeger quit, uh, but there wasn't enough time or money to reshoot enough of the film for Chappelle to be solely credited as a director. So he directed some of it, uh, but not all of it. So Kevin Jaeger quit during production.
1: Okay, so, fabulous. So Joe Chappelle mm-hmm. directed two of the worst horror <laughs> sequels I have ever seen.
0: So six and what else did he do? This one. Oh yeah, partial. This is yeah. abysmal.
1: I mean I haven't seen the ones that come after it. But this is abysmal. Yeah. Shite. Um he also directed The Schools Two. <laughs> um and then episodes of the fringe, uh,
0: like Fringe and CSI Miami and uh, Chicago Fire and, and so on and so forth. Uh, Valentina Fargas who plays Angelique said she was reluctant to take the role because of nightmares about Pinhead but she soon became interested in exploring her character's seductive and evil nature. <sighs> Originally a demon summoned through black magic who commissions the Lament configuration uh, her origin was changed to be dependent on the box. <laughs> Yeah, not. Yeah, <laughs> she's be having nightmares of making this fucking film. There's
1: not much you can make of it. But, oh, seductive, no. Yeah, she just acts a bit
0: vampy. Like, come on. Also, her voice was overdubbed by another actress. Oh no! Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Kim Myers is in this from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Speaking of Nightmare on Elm Street. Meryl Streep herself. Um, she was written to mirror Larry from the first film. Both of them suspect their spouses of infidelity. That doesn't come across at all here. That really does not come across. Oh my
1: god. There was one moment where she's in bed looking a little confused. (laughs) Because he had a phone call at like three o'clock in the morning. She's given nothing to do. (laughs) But but nothing comes of that at all. Like she's she's barely in the film. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Like really. She's barely any character. This,
0: Yeah, okay. Wait until we get into it, then
1: I'll,
0: uh, I'll let you know. Due to the film's unpopularity with fans and critics, Arrow Video declined to accept this film as part of their limited-edition Blu-ray restoration of the Hellraiser films, only including the first three films in the Scarlet Box. As Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, was only included via a limited-time deal with Miramax, the set has now gone out of print. Uh, but I think they must have sorted it out, because there's other versions you could buy of it with Hellraiser 3. And I believe you could buy that separately as well.
1: So. Oh, okay.
0: Um, but come on, Arrow. I understand you're not including this, but seriously, how are free. <laughs> could have just released the first two. <laughs> yeah,
1: but Trilogy sounds a bit better, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I suppose. The how a
0: quadrilogy. Doesn't sound quite right. So getting into our second feature film. Our second journey into the adventures of uh, leading and Man Pinhead. In the 22nd century, a scientist attempts to right the wrong his ancestors created. The puzzle box that opens the gates of HAL and unleashes Pinhead and his Cenobite legions. I'm... Okay, calm down. I won't say legions. i quite legions. <laughs> um, this is the one that jumps the shark and sends Pinhead to space. And yet it's still fucking boring.
1: It, it is dull. Very dull. Um, It's just so hard to care.
0: Yeah. It starts off, and this is definitely Joe Chappelle's input. Do you remember Halloween The Curse of Michael Myers? That starts off with uh, that quick flash of Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Well, we get the same here. We get a quick flash of Pinhead and a scream, just like Halloween 6. Uh, Why did Dimension Films think this was cool? Oh, no. so clue. stupid. I really have no clue. Uh, followed by opening credits without the iconic score. And honestly, that point is just like, okay, why should I care about yes. this? Yeah, they're trying hard to copy it. Yeah, but it sounds it terrible.
1: Sounds, it does sound bad.
0: We're taking to 2127, where Dr. Paul Merchant, an engineer, seals himself in the room aboard the Minos, a space station that he designed. As armed guards attempt to break through the door, Merchant manipulates a robot into solving a terrible CGI version of the Lament config- configuration, destroying the robot in the process. Yeah, um, that CGI is awful. Which is a shame he because. Was 96. Yeah, That's I mean, bad. it's a shame because the only good thing in this film, the only good thing, I mean, the only, is uh, the practical effects. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, why can't you just have the fucking box now? Is it really that difficult? Yeah, um, the guards break through the door. Yeah, and apprehend merchant.
1: Um, uh, what does Is uh, what, is it? Rimmer. It is Rimmer, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, uh, what does Rimmer say? What she say? Consider yourself relieved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's also relieved of hair. Um, in between cities. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've got it here. When did they shave Merchant's hair? This happens
0: throughout the film. His hair changes length so many times he's throughout suddenly, this fucking film. When he's
1: being questioned, he's suddenly, like, bald. They <laughs> had short hair beforehand, but not, like, shaved hair. <laughs> so he's... He's, um... He does that thing where, like, if I tell you the story, <laughs> you're not going to believe me. And we, you know, and by all accounts, they're on a tight schedule. But anyway, <laughs> he agrees to explain his motivations to Rimmer. Um, they're not from Red Dwarf. I just need to think of Red Dwarf, Rimmer. Rimmer in space. What does it make you think of? Um, getting rimmed. Lovely. <laughs> so the film flashes back to Paris, France, 1796. Dr. Merchant's ancestor... Philip Le Marchand... Yeah. See what they did there? A French toy maker makes the lament configuration on commission from the libertine aristocrat, Duke de l'Isalle. Unbeknownst to Le Marchand, (laughs) L'Isalle... No, my French ain't great. (laughs) L'Isalle's specifications for the box make it a portal to hell. Upon delivering the box to him... Lamar <laughs> I can't do this He watches As he and his assistant Jacques Sacrifice a peasant girl And
0: use her Flayed off skin To summon a demon Angelique Through the box Yeah Jacques is Adam Scott And by the way um, Your French might not be great But neither is uh, The cast's French Apparently Yes. Yeah, because- let's make Isn't, it very clear there's not a single french person in france yet they've got all these fucking french names are you fucking serious so the film has done that incredibly lazy
1: thing where even though it is paris france 1796 <laughs> um they either have a british accent and speak <laughs> they all speak english yeah they either have a british accent or in adam scott's case an american accent yeah. Even though they are, by all accounts, French people. Yeah.
0: Like, seriously, it's only a small portion of the film. Have it with subtitles. Yeah. I'm sure it won't put many people off. The film's shit anyway, so having subtitles isn't going to scare anyone off.
1: It's just saying to the audience, we don't think you're very smart. Mm we don't think you want to see subtitles or we don't think you can read yeah you know it's just very i suppose condescending in a way yeah um but it, it it questions it 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 kind of questions the intelligence of who they perceive to be their audience um and it just comes across really fucking stupid at least have a French accent for folks. Mm. Even a bad French accent. Put some effort into it. And this this part is as well I suppose is where you would have gotten the um white makeup people. And the ballroom stuff. Yeah, yeah and the ballroom stuff. And I think if they had made this into a kind of marquis de sade mm kind of situation then it would have been really on brand for hellraiser yeah. as a series um and it could really have set up the scene mm-hmm. you know and i actually think the film would have really benefited from mm-hmm. it if it had more of that you know it writes itself marquis de Sade, sadism you know clive everything Clive Barker's ever done. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. it plays into that. And I suppose that's kind of what Clive Barker's vision would have been. It's a shame he didn't have more of an involvement in yeah. these films. Yeah. Because there is the, the, the fundamentals of a decent film. If this whole film had been a prequel mm-hmm. and set during this time yeah, and the cre- about the creation of the Lament configuration, mm-hmm. then you could have had a decent film here yeah and i suppose that's what's most annoying is that really there are parts that could have really played out well but it fails on yeah. every level yeah um so you have this you know um, english guy and american guy who are meant to be french
0: Yeah, Le Merchant, he runs home in terror where he begins working on blueprints for a second box which will neutralise the effects of the first. Returning to the... That doesn't make any sense. No. If he's unaware that what he's
1: just created um, is a gateway to hell, Mm -hmm. how can then he suddenly realise the how to make one that closes the gateway to hell... Yeah. Like, if so he was dumb. aware of all of them, if he knew what to do to create a
0: portal to hell, then he would have known, like, no, oh, this seems familiar, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. You know? So stupid. Um, he returns to Le Isle's uh, mansion to steal the box. The Merchant discovers that Jacques has killed Le Isle, or whatever the fuck his name is, and taken control over Angelique, uh, who agrees to be a slave so long as uh, he does not impede it- the wishes of hell uh she says toy maker you have such light fingers i want you to play with me yeah. oh how profound <laughs>
1: the first, one of the funniest things is um when he makes the lament configuration and he's so pleased he's like oh my god i've done it <laughs> and his wife comes in and she's like, oh my god you've done it oh it looks lovely And then he just kind of does what they do in all the films, where Mm -hmm. um, the puzzle box actually doesn't really come across as a puzzle box. No. Um, He kind of plays with it. It's just like, oh, it doesn't actually do anything. (laughs) 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 And it's kind of like how I thought about the box. So for them to call it a toy, I've never looked at it as a toy. No. Um, I suppose it's kind of a puzzle box, but it's always been a puzzle box that does it itself. Yeah,
0: but it's kind of. The, the whole thing, let's face it, is uh, symbolism for a clay, isn't it? You're trying to find the G spot of the puzzle box. Okay. I mean, the way they rub it, come on. It is absolutely trying to be filthy.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: That's. You know, it's Clive Barker. That's, of course, that's what he's going for. Yeah,
1: but they're saying it's a toy, toy yeah. maker. Uh, that's a toy, but it's not really a toy. No. So it is technically a reed, um. But she's not lying no. when she says, "Oh, it doesn't actually do anything." <laughs> um, she's pregnant, by the way. Yeah, um,
0: you know, useful for the rest of the story.
1: Well, that's the thing. She's conveniently pregnant, um, because the pair kill a merchant... marchand, M- Merchand, yeah, and Jacques informs him that his bloodline is now cursed helping open the portal to hell um so yeah very convenient that his wife's pregnant if she hadn't been pregnant then it wouldn't really have been a problem (laughs) it would have been like what bloodline (laughs) and he's a pretty young dude as well to be fair you know it was perfectly feasible that he wouldn't have a child or a pregnant wife um so yeah that happens
0: yeah, and then we're taking to um, 1996. Adam sorry,
1: oh. I've just got here. I've just realised Adam Scott is giving more surfer
0: dude <laughs> than French aristocrat. <laughs> um, yeah, we're taking to 1996 uh, where Le Merchant's descendant, John Merchant, who oh. is a
1: dead ringer for Harry
0: Styles. Like, As...
1: seriously.
0: <laughs> I love how to go from Le Merchant to John
1: <laughs> yeah, well no Le Marchand is his surname I don't know what his first name John was Merchant Was it F- Philippe Le Marchand <laughs> And then his descendant, John Merchant So it's not It's not really Given how he's ended up in America mm-hmm. um, It's, yeah I do, It's not really I mean, there was Immigration from France To America You know, after, obviously after the uh, 1700s, but I don't think it was huge. Yeah, I'm sure. If they... anything, he was probably more likely to go to Canada, but they wanted to make it an American film. I'm sure they didn't look into that at all. So they can <laughs> conveniently place him right where someone yeah. not too long ago threw a box in some concrete. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, Bruce Ramsey plays all three versions of Merchant. Yes. And fucking stupid. Um he's married to Kim Myers from a Nightmare N Shoot 2 and has built a skyscraper in Manhattan that resembles the Lament configuration as Internally, seen. At
1: yeah, so inside, um, I have to say, pretty ugly. It is, yeah. It works as a box, but not as a not as decor. No. You know, you wouldn't have your wallpaper in
0: it. It's a little <laughs> much, isn't it? Uh seeing so an article on the building in a magazine, Angelique asks a very greasy jacks. Uh, Jacques, sorry, to take her to the United States so that she can confront him. Poor Adam Scott. Did they dip his head in a fucking chip? He
1: very, very sweaty and greasy. Um, Yeah, so literally the whole premise of this film is based on Angelique seeing a magazine cover (laughs) with this John Merchant on. It's been 200, (laughs) 200 years. And she suddenly out of nowhere has this it's still in France, by all accounts, still yeah, in the same still building. Dressed the same. Still, still dressed the same. Still dressed the same two hundred years later and by chance she it's fucking like architect digest or something <laughs> completely random and this is how she figures out the bloodline. Yeah. After two hundred years. Uh-huh. Absolutely ridiculous.
0: So stupid. Yeah. Um when Jacques denies her request, Angelique kills him as Merchant poses a threat to Hal. Oh no. <laughs> Shut the fellow <laughs> those fucking dumb. So he
1: poses a threat to Hell. <laughs> but there's been two hundred years of ancestors that haven't. Yeah. Like you'd think she would have kept an eye on the pregnant wife. I know, yeah. And kind of followed that, and followed them to America. Could have just killed the pregnant wife. Um, Could have actually just killed the pregnant wife, to be fair. (laughs) It is very confusing. It's
0: almost like the film was like, oh, okay, we need to be set in present day as well. So we've got past, present, and future. How clever are we?
1: Yeah. When actually, this would have been... I I hate to beat a dead horse, but you could have just had the whole thing set marquis de sade style yeah at, at the creation of it and had it as a prequel to the other films and it would have worked really well i might just do that actually <laughs> you know if anyone wants to you know send me some money on paypal just let me know i'll give you the deets and i'll make that for you um absolutely hilarious when jacques Turns around and says, Screw America, <laughs> in an incredibly thick American accent.
0: <laughs> 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 what are we meant to think he's French? What, what did he want us to believe here?
1: Ridiculous. Screw America when he's got an American accent. <laughs> Yeah. Also, if they've been alive 200 years, how didn't they know about Kirsty and Joey? With oh, I know, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure all that shit made the news in America. But the only time they've become aware of any of it is through Architecture Digest. Yeah. <laughs> every. It's the only thing they read. Times. They actually
0: don't digest
1: any other type of yeah. media. It's just that magazine. Which is confusing, considering they've lived in the same building for 200 years. <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> appear like they've done the place up at any point,
0: either. Um, very confusing. Angelique travels to the United States where she fails to seduce merchant. Uh, discovering the lament configuration in the building's foundation, Angelique tricks security guard into solving it, which summons Pinhead, the moment we've all been waiting for. Hey. Doug Bradley's back again. The two immediately clash, um, as Pinhead represents a shift in the ideologies of hell, which she left behind 200 <laughs> years ago. While Angelique believes in corrupting people through temptation, Pinhead is fanatically devoted to pain and suffering. Shut the up. What Come a load of shit. That is That's such a, a poor excuse. Such a poor excuse for conflict. And spoiler alert, by the end of the film, she's just like, oh yeah, okay, I'll be your son Pinhead, go on. And what does it just, even like, mean, fuck off. anyway? Look, what
1: are they trying to say? <laughs> um, I was a little confused, and I know you were as well, where exactly she did discover the lament configuration.
0: Oh, I know, Yeah. Um, so, we saw, at the end of the last film, it went into the floor. Yeah. It was in the floor, buried in concrete, Um. but somehow, it is in a pillar inside the building yeah. in this film. She's like, shh, yeah, sorry. thanks, love. did, he, did these pillars just raise out of the ground, magically? Like, oh, how the fuck is that in there? That makes no sense.
1: No. No, it should be in concrete.
0: Like, watch Jerry... the third
1: film. Joey made a big point of putting it in concrete. If you're going to make a sequel, watch the third film. Exactly. Or if you're going to connect it to the third film. Yeah, don't have this entire fucking... Because then you just, it takes you out of the film. Yeah. Because you're like, wow. Yeah. Angelique goes to pester John at work. Yeah. And he has a very sexy dream about shagging her. <laughs> she then calls him in the middle of the night to meet up. And yeah. he agrees, which doesn't best please his wife. Kim Myers No Well Kind of She just can, kind of Has a moment Where she's like <laughs> "Oh, like Oh She's oh, so much eyes? better Than this <laughs> um, Doesn't go anywhere Doesn't There's no showdown Between the two No Completely pointless um, Well Despite their Conflicting views One Just a little question This is a yeah. very General question So it's not To do with the film But In a lot of films That we've watched Obviously Older films Everyone had a phone next to their bed. Yeah. Now, I've never had a phone next to... When we had landlines back in the day, you Mm. had one landline in the front room. Yeah. Um, And then, obviously, when the internet happened, we had to have a landline Mm -hmm. upstairs where the computer was. But I've never known anyone, I'm assuming it's an American thing, to have a landline phone next to their bed. No, so dumb. Because if you're going to get a, a call in the middle of mm-hmm. the night, you know, you're going to hear it from... Unless these houses are so big. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something that it's, I, I kind of... Because I was so fucking bored by the rest of the film. <laughs> you, can t- you can tell the film is fucking tired, <laughs> when the only question I've got is, did people have phones next <laughs> to their beds? Obviously we have mobile phones now, so everyone's got their fucking phone next to their heads in the middle of the night.
0: Well, despite their conflicting views, um, Pinhead and Angelique forge an uneasy alliance to kill Merchant before he can complete the Elysium configuration, an anti-limit configuration that creates perpetual light and would serve to permanently close all gateways to (laughs) hell. It's his day job. What the fuck is he doing with his life? Yeah, so
1: apparently part of his bloodline is that he knows how to do this. (laughs) And it's taken 200 years. Um, Two twin security guards at the building share a pointless, quite transphobic anecdote before discovering a door that shouldn't exist.
0: The thing is, I feel like they were trying to do the opposite, but... It's so badly written, it comes... Because he's like, oh, would you ever have sex with a, a transgendered person? Like, yeah, I would. But then goes on to make really transphobic comments. It's like, okay, what are you trying to do here? Yeah. Like, what, really? This is like the most LGBTQ plus positive story in, you know, the original Hellraiser. Why would you include something like that in one of the sequels? It's just... I just
1: don't... It's completely pointless in every conceivable way. Yeah. It's not really a joke. No. But I, I feel like it was meant to be played off as a joke. Um, it's not really transphobic. But it kind of is. Yeah. Because it's played off as a joke. It's just completely... point. I, I don't understand. I really don't get it. it I, again, it's really, really poor it writing. It is. It is.
0: Pinhead's stroking a bird. Um, and feeds it to his centipede like What oh, kind of bird? Like a real... A dove. A dove. A dove. <laughs> Um because that's edgy. Um He feeds it to his Cenobite dog who has the same teeth as Chatterer. Yes. Um, yeah, the twin guards, uh they discovered the a doorway to Pinhead's hangout spot, don't they? Yeah. Uh, Pinhead I grows we
1: hooks. They were twins again. Yeah, and me. Just, I didn't realize. Well, that I I'm so bored by this point. Oh.
0: Pinhead grows hooks on his
1: fingers. Oh my god, he's had his nails done, sickening. Um, looking very glam.
0: Yeah, he starts to cut down Angelique's chest. The security guards agree that they'll stick together forever. And that um, graduation song starts playing. Oh shut <laughs> Up. Um. They find uh. Pinhead. And they say, don't make us put some pain on you. So Pinhead delivers a big monologue. And you know I've got every word here. He says, pain, how dare you use that word? What you think of as pain is only a shadow, pain as a face. Allow me to show it to you gentlemen. I am pain. That might have meant something, you know, three films ago, when you actually were scary. Um just a bit cringe now. <laughs> it? It's like, oh, oh, Pinhead's saying something provocative again. Oh, oh bloody hell. Blah, 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 pain. He's got blood, blood, hooks blood, on his blood, fingers blood, now. Uh, he then, after they said, we'll stick together forever, he joins them together into one Cenobite, because that's where we're at now.
1: I'm mean, like Screw it, it's like
0: screwing. It's actually quite yeah. a good effect. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, the, the practical effects are great. In yeah, the only
1: thing stopping this film from half a getting start. a half a start is the effects. <laughs> they are pretty good. Um, uh,
0: uh, yeah, go on then. Yeah, Angelique and Pinhead initially collaborate to Corrupt Merchant, but Pinhead grows tired of Angelique's seductive techniques and threatens to kill Merchant's wife and child. This comes out of nowhere. Like, he's... Like, yeah. I don't know when Pinhead is angry with her or not, because, like, when he's like, oh, yes, I want hell for this, you want hell for that, whatever, let's just kill someone. Then he's like, oh, I'm sick of you, you silly bitch, I'm gonna kill his kid now. What? Yeah. Yeah, he's...
1: I don't get it. Whatever. I really don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> random... <laughs> Random cut to Merchant's son Jack being rude to his mother <laughs> because he's playing with macanas. You know how rude that kid is. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. So rude. Um, then, in the grand tradition of films I've given up on, um, I've got a bullet point with the letter L. <laughs> I've got another bullet point with the letter L for some reason, and a, a bullet point with Daddy in quotation marks. Oh, this this is where Pinhead Pinhead. (laughs) Okay, so I think I remember I think I remember now (laughs) So, Bobby Who's Kim Myers She goes down a really Dull, scary looking Corridor (laughs) To then go into the Laundry room, which is really Brightly lit And like really nice That's not a
0: usual complaint From you
1: no, no, but it's the fact that, so she has a really nice house, this really nice apartment, he's the number one architectural superstar <laughs> in New York, and there's just this one corridor that's really <laughs> dank and disgusting, but it leads to a perfectly nice room, yeah. it's like, <laughs> and she's like, oh, oh, I'm going, I'm to the laundry room, oh, oh no, what film did we watch recently where they did that, and I was, Ridiculous. Like, the the girl was acting as if... Oh, what was the film? Was it podcast
0: I think it was a podcast film. film.
1: Where she was walk, just walking in general. Nothing had happened. That she, Nothing had happened to her in her life. She'd lived a perfectly nice life. But <laughs> just because she was walking down one corridor and happened to be in a horror film, <laughs> that she was acting as if she was being followed.
0: I was... Uh what film was it? What film was it? Do you you
1: you know what I'm talking about? I know about, what you or mean. Was it a Fright I, Fest I know film? what you mean. It may have been a Fright Fest In film. Probably a Fright Fest film. Um
0: was it the House on Haunted
1: Hill really? no. No, no. But no, she literally and then at the end uh she's like perfectly fine. <laughs> Oh, what was it? Oh, that's going to annoy me. Was it My me. Bloody Valentine? No, more recent than that. Like, I feel like we've watched it within the last two weeks. I thought it was hilarious. It's like, why is she acting like this? When there was absolutely no threat whatsoever.
0: Oh, that's going to really bug me now, because I it's know... It's really... You know I what really I'm talking feel like, about as well. I really feel like we discussed it on the podcast. I
1: do feel like that.
0: Uh... It wasn't. I know who killed me, was
1: it?
0: No. Uh, we're we the height of our professionalism here. Um... We'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> let you know unless
1: someone else knows. Of a recent, well, I don't think it's a recent film necessarily. No. But she's. I was. I was sat there, and I was like, there was absolutely no reason for her to be acting scared of anything.
0: Wait. Was it Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Netflix. No, Check. no. No, I don't think so. Uh, Bride of Chucky? No, no sooner than that. That's genuinely the only horror films we've watched
1: over the last... It may not have been... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I
0: don't know. I'll okay, have to let you know. We won't keep you... Uh, bored sitting here listening to a I know, trying to figure it out. out. Final Scream, that's my final offer. No. No, no! it was
1: either. more. It was sooner than that. I That's... think it was a Frightfest film. Maybe may have been a Frightfest
0: film. I do think it was a Frightfest film. Um... <laughs> um, yeah, we'll figure that out. It's fine. Um, having grown accustomed to a decadent life on Earth, Angelique wants no part of Hal's new fanatical um, austerity, and she intends to force Merchant to activate the calcium configuration and destroy Hal... First freeing her from its imperatives and completely going back on everything she said in this film so far um, because this film is a fucking mess. Um yeah, so you was in the laundry room, Pinna's standing there holding hands with a little boy. Um Oh yeah, yeah. And then he says Daddy in a child's voice. In a child's voice.
1: It's uh, so stupid. Uh, They're trying to go for something and it just it really looks ridiculous. Yeah. And sounds ridiculous. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I, genu- I genuinely stopped giving a shit. I really did. Um, what even happens after that? I don't fucking know. I
0: mean, uh, you know, in any other film, that would probably be quite intense. You know, Pinhead's got a child or he's about to, you know, murder had a child. Have we even
1: seen this child before this point? <laughs> I mean, the the wife, Bobby, had, like, two lines of dialogue. Mm. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, they go, he goes to, so Merchant goes to save his wife and kid. Uh Uh-huh. Um, Pinhead kills Merchant, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, in a really good effect, Uh like, cutting his head off. Like, really good effect. Um but Bobby opens Angelique's Lament configuration, sending mm-hmm. Pinhead and Angelique back to hell.
0: Yes. And so, his dog as well.
1: And his dog. Oh yeah, the dog explodes, <laughs> doesn't
0: it? No, that's later on in the film. It goes back oh, to oh, hell is first. It? Oh,
1: fuck's sake. Um so yeah, why Bobby knows what to do <laughs> no idea.
0: Yeah. she done kn- her research. She has she seen the other films. Um because she, she genuinely She just knows how to send him back to hell. She knows exactly
1: what to do. It feels like this middle section is... Well, all three sections feel like they could have been a fully formed film. You could have had three films in the Hellraiser franchise. You know, um, with this one film. So they all feel Mm -hmm. ridiculously underdeveloped. Yeah. Characters are ridiculously underdeveloped particularly bobby yeah um and it feels unfinished and rushed mm-hmm. and just really really shit i'll be this part was like, i really don't care because you've fucked up two stories now yeah and i know you're gonna fuck up the third one
0: yeah and this is honestly this could be the worst one i'm yeah the future one where it should have been the most fun because it's pinhead in space. Exactly. Come on, it writes itself. Yeah. Even if it's shit, it should be entertaining. But it is the most boring one. So boring. Um, out of all of them. I've
1: literally just, you know, and his little behind the scenes secret. Uh, but I've literally just copied and pasted from Wikipedia. You've told the
0: secret so many times now, it's so, not a secret <laughs> anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I haven't even added any notes. Yeah. I haven't added anything to this. In... I will just be reading from Wikipedia. Yeah,
0: back in the future, Rimmer disbelieves... Excuse me, I'm
1: a changed man. <laughs> I usually, you know, I don't do that anymore
0: with um, original versus rematch. Okay, okay. Um. Back in the future, Rimmer disbelieves Dr. Merchant's story and has him locked away. However, Pinhead and his followers, now including an enslaved Angelique, <laughs> who is <laughs> now fine with all of this. Yeah, um, she's sure. just like, yeah, whatever. Know. She's like, she's had her head split open somehow. Um, well, she's given, um,
1: Star Wars pigtails.
0: Yeah. I thought. Bit
1: of a skin. <laughs> yeah, bit of a skin. Um, I can't remember what they're called.
0: The one that does the dance in Jabba's... Yeah, Jabba's Slave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Pinhead's already been freed after Merchant opened the box. Okay. <laughs> Did it do anything? I just thought the robot exploded at the start of the film. How Something must have happened. Upon learning of Dr. Merchant's intentions, they kill the entire crew of the ship, save for Rimmer and Merchant, who escape. Dr. Merchant reveals that the Minos is in fact the final perfected form of the Elysium configuration, <laughs> and that by activating it, it can kill Pinhead, and permanently sealed the gateway to hell. None of your other ancestors could have done this, no? You had to wait till twenty one twenty seven to do it? Okay. <laughs> Dr Merchant distracts Pinhead with a hologram while he boards an escape pod with Rimmer, who kills the Cenobite Dog by blasting it to pieces. Once clear of the station, he activates the Elysium Configuration, a series of powerful lasers and mirrors Create a field of perpetual light, while the station transforms and folds around the light to create a massive box. The light is trapped within the box, killing Pinhead and his followers. First, ending Pinhead's existence this time, permanently. And I just give you a really, really shortened version of what goes on there because it goes on forever. Yeah. Um. And yes, Pinhead is destroyed forever in twenty one twenty seven. Twenty one twenty seven. Seriously. So. Number one,
1: if the ability to make this Elysium configuration is somehow in the bloodline... Yeah. Again, why has it taken, so like, centuries to get to this point? Yeah. Number two, where was Pinhead between 1996 and 2127, like... If nothing happened in between that was good enough yeah. for a story... If nothing happened in between that was good enough for a story, then surely just leave the fucking box alone. Yeah. Like, why are you messing about why with Why are it? you bringing it back? Just leave it there. That's it. Number three, if Merchant has released evil at the beginning of the story, why the long-winded stories? Mm. Like, surely if Rima was going to believe, you know, any of the stories, they were... Would- <clears throat> Excuse me. She would have believed a shortened version. <laughs> yeah. Also like like we've just watched it and surely to re to tell that story out loud must be really long winded. Yeah. It's like why are they not dead already? <laughs> yeah. if, if, if 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 Pinhead is just going around this space station yeah. then why are they not dead already? Cuz we know from previous films and you know this
0: film That he can just conjure up whatever he wants. It's true. Also, why are they forgetting the premise of the first two films? Yeah. This was not the point of Pinhead. No. Literally, they only bug the people who open the box and anyone who gets in the way. Why is he going around killing an entire space station like he's a slasher villain? Like, that's not the point. Yeah. That's not what Hellraiser is. It, it's so dumb, and it really, it assumes its audience are dumb as well, so oh, you can't understand the complex nature of the first two films, so here's a uh, really dumbed down slasher film for you, um, but with loads of boring ramblings about good and evil and whatever the fuck they're going on about.
1: I gave up, I really, I, it's one of the films, and I, even though I knew we were going to have to spend time discussing it, I, I gave up, I was like, I don't care
0: yeah it's it's all downhill for me i mean the thing is you know how is it free wasn't good uh but it's it looks like oh, a fucking as dull as this it looks like a masterpiece compared to this it's dull
1: boring lifeless um completely wasted opportunity as well because yeah. there was some half decent ideas that were just really mishandled yeah but Dollars dishwater really, really boring. Yeah. Which is for me, as you know, unforgivable. Yeah. Can't say we but the, recommend. The effects it. were alright.
0: The effects yeah.
1: were right. watch um like a kill count or something. Yeah. Yeah, enjoy that.
0: Um uh, but yes, with these horrors of films, we're not here to recommend anything past two. But, you know, we're here to discuss them for you See, so you don't down to sit through them. Let us know on social media which one you prefer. I think we already know the answer. Uh, we're Horacle cool Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram. Horacle cool Trash on Twitter. I'm Gas 92 on Letterboxd. Gasmo 205 on Instagram. And GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker 823
1: on Instagram and Letterboxd. Uh, give us a rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. If ratings... you know what film we're talking about, the way she randomly is scared, <laughs> walking down a corridor, please let us know. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, it could be a long list. Because really. that will
1: be our topic of conversation for the rest <laughs> of this evening.
0: Um, so, we've got a lot coming up for you guys. I hope you're not sick of our voices yet. Uh, Friday, it's original versus remake time and we're discussing both versions of Child's Play. Yes. Uh week today, Tuesday, we will be back, kicking off April with more 90s horror and American Werewolf in Paris.
1: The 90s... Re- I and mean, it's something I actually really need to mention, Wait, actually. no,
0: we'll still be in March. Oh, will we? We'll still be in March.
1: <laughs> the 90s was a dire time for horror. Yeah. From, really, these two films, Halloween 6, you know, you can really because obviously I was too young at the time I didn't realize how much of a cultural reset scream was yeah but the more of these films I'm watching you know they're light years apart of mm-hmm. really dire film like How of the four is light years removed from scream yeah you know and it's it's shocking really because I didn't really know at the time and I I've, I've never really felt compelled to watch pinhead in space um And I won't be compelled to watch it again. But I just wanted to add that because yeah. I think An American Werewolf in Paris is very much in keeping with that. 90s was a uh, very dry decade for a lot of horror. But then some real standouts.
0: An American Werewolf in Paris, I kind of feel... Like that was maybe post-screen. It was. It was nineteen ninety seven. Oh, was it really? Yeah, you can tell in the film. Yeah. It's a post. Oh, can you really? Yeah. Oh dear. Um. But also, uh, we will also be appearing as special guests on Life's Best Song podcast, discussing voyage, of the rock aliens.
1: Yeah, really excited for that. I love being invited onto other people's podcasts yes. and. Uh, <laughs> um. It's a Piazzadora film. That's all I really know so far. It's a musical, obviously. Um, it has been on the watch list for a while. I think it's very on brand for us. Yeah. um, so I'm very excited to discuss that it's with but uh, a better song plus a better song. Nice to be a yeah. song. Um, I said that like butter song, <laughs> like a song about butter. I do I, apologize. It's my I'm pronunciation.
0: Not sure when that will be released, but we will keep you updated on here in the yes. socials. And until then, we'll see you on Friday. Bye.